Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we hope that it's encouragement to you that you're here because you being here is an encouragement to us. If you would be open your Bibles, Romans, the fifth chapter. We're going to continue a little further in a text that we began this morning in Romans, the fifth chapter. I want to invite you, if you would like to learn more about a mission work that is taking place in western Canada, the Western Christian College will be having a dinner here on Tuesday evening. Uh, the dinner is uh, a gift to you if you want to come and be a part of it. To sign up is in the back in the Welcome Center. And if you can sign up and let us know, that would be good. If you don't know until the day of it and want to go ahead and come, that would be fine. It's at 6.30. Uh, the, Canada is a tremendous mission field. And there's a lot of good that comes out of uh, this particular college. There's only 34 full-time preachers in all of Western Canada. Over half of those were trained at this college. If you'd like to learn more about it, it is a fundraising dinner. It's not high pressure, uh, but if you'd like to be a part of it, support it, this would be a wonderful opportunity. If you just want to learn more about it, this would be a wonderful opportunity. We'd invite you to be a part of that. Yesterday we had a a tremendous gathering of our young people and many adults uh, helping along with that at the uh, spring egg hunt. And we appreciate each one that took part in that. We had many visitors uh, to meet us as a congregation and hopefully we'll even visit with us in our Bible classes and worship services. Had a good afternoon. The Harringtons have been showered with generosity. The teachers meeting went very well. A lot of good is happening. Make sure you find your place to be involved and be a part of God's work. And let's all continue to do our part. There's no reason for one person to do everything. But there is a reason, which the number one reason is because it's God's plan. Let's all do our part. That's all God wants us to do is our part. Where you have ability and opportunity, that becomes our responsibility. Imagine, if you will, five sponges. All of them look the same on the outside. Wonder where they've been used last. The only way you can tell is to squeeze them real hard. And see what comes out. You squeeze the first one and Coca-Cola drips from it. Ah, that one must have been used to clean up the kitchen. You squeeze the next one and, and a comic smell comes. That must have been used in, to clean the restrooms. You go to another and a, a little drip of grease and motor oil comes out. That must have been used to clean the garage. You go to another and you squeeze it and poof, Baby powder comes out. That was used in the nursery. And you squeeze the final one and you see some floor wax come out. Well, that was used to shine the floors. Isn't it interesting that although they all look the same on the outside, when you put them under stress and duress, you can see what comes out of them. Isn't it interesting that in our lives you can see many individuals, and most of us look pretty similar on the outside, but what's on the inside? Put a person under stress. Take a tremendous loss and allow them to experience that. Put a great mountain of challenge before them, one that will try them to their very core and see what comes out. See if it's anger. See if it's vengeance. See if it's a life that's completely stressed out. Or could it be in someone else's life under those same circumstances you squeeze them and what comes out is Peace of God, rejoicing, hope, drops of grace. 
You see, that's what Paul was teaching in Romans, the fifth chapter. We looked at the end of the fourth chapter in the very beginning of the fifth chapter this morning where he uses Abraham as that great example of a man of faith. And he's saying that if we can have that faith, we can come to receive the justification that's offered through Jesus Christ. It's in response. Our faith has to respond to that. And it's in that grace that we can stand. And it's that grace that we can rejoice in hope. But then, that's in, in Romans 5, 1 and 2. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But what I want you to see before we read this is then he drops back after he introduces the rejoicing in hope. And it's almost as if he says, wait a minute. I want to tell you some more things that leads to that hope. You see, we've looked at it from what God offers us. It's because of Jesus' justification. But what is it that we must do to respond to that hope? Let's look at this in Romans, the fifth chapter, one and two, just by way of reviewing this morning's lesson. And then let's look at three, four, and five. He says in one and two, therefore, having been justified by faith, that justification is God's part. Our faith is, is what is our part. He says we have Peace with God. That's what we want. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, he gives us another description of this rejoicing in hope. Look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance. And perseverance, the implied word, would be produces character. And character produces hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom is given to us. How many of us, if we spoke of the hope of heaven tonight, how many of us would speak of it as if it were just a wish or a whim? Well, I hope that when I die I go to heaven, but you never know. What kind of life does that come from? That statement is squeezed out of a life that's not what we have just read. In 1 John, we read about individuals declaring, John declaring that we can know God and we can know the love of God and we can know that we can stand boldly on the day of judgment. What kind of life has to be lived for that to be experienced? Let's study that this evening. The first thing that we read of is about tribulation. Now, I must confess to you that as I wrote this lesson, I got a little bit more fired up about this lesson than what we have time to, to actually go over tonight. So on your screen, you'll notice some passages that we won't even have time to touch on tonight. But I have to tell you that this is a study that I enjoyed very much, seeing perhaps hope from a little bit different angle that I'd never noticed before taking part in this study. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper than even just this particular lesson. But as we think about this, how can he say glory in tribulation? And the idea of the word glory literally means also to rejoice. And so he's saying we can rejoice in tribulations. How can he say that? Because he knows what tribulations will produce. Go over just a couple of pages in your Bible to Romans the 8th chapter. In Romans, the 8th chapter, and if you're looking in your pew Bible, that'll be shortly after page 1002. And as we look in the 8th chapter, let's just scan some things. And, and let's think about Paul as a man that he knew how to glory in tribulations. And how could he do it? When we read in the 8th chapter, in verse 17, he talks about us being joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, we can receive an inheritance like Jesus received, but in order to do that, we also have to share in His suffering. Now, how could we do that? Notice this focus. He says in 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
Paul, how can you go through such suffering? He says, I continually think about what's on the other side of eternity. And I realize that anything I had to suffer now, it's going to be worth it to have that glorious reward into eternity. He kept his focus. Now, along with this focus, notice as we skip down in 26, he also realized that he had support during times of suffering. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. The times that we're suffering, the time that we are weak, areas and situations in which we are weak, the Holy Spirit's with us, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Also, notice the truth about it. You know, oftentimes we believe that suffering is the worst thing that we could ever go through. Friends, that's not the worst thing we could ever go through. I suppose being unfaithful to God is the worst thing we could ever go through. Notice what he says about suffering in 28. Here's the truth of the matter. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. So even in times of suffering, what do I need to have in mind? I need to know that things are going to work out because I'm a child of God, that something good can come out of this bad situation. It doesn't mean the situation's good, but something good can come out of it. Now, I also need to see... That I have protection in times of suffering. Look at 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wow, now that gives you some support in times of suffering. We've already talked about the support of the Holy Spirit. Now he speaks about the support of having an almighty God, the Father that stands on our side. Think about when you were a little boy and it seemed like everything, or a little girl, and it seemed like everything was falling apart. And, and then you, you had perhaps a parent that if they just stood beside you, you knew that you were going to be all right. They could protect you. They could make it right. That's what God the Father is showing us a picture here to say that if God's for us, who could be against us? And then we see, we've talked about the Spirit, we've talked about the Father. Now look at Jesus Christ in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the very first thing that he asks is, shall tribulation? And then he mentions distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perils, or sword. Friends, the point that he's making here is that our relationship with Christ is so strong that nothing can break that relationship with Christ except us. There's no trouble that we go through that's so hard that we can honestly say, it was that trouble that pulled me away from Jesus. No. We may have decided to leave Jesus during that trouble, but that tribulation didn't do it because our relationship with Christ is too strong for that to happen. Friends, that gives us encouragement in a time of trouble. And we see the reward of that in 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Glory or joy in tribulation. Friends, at the times that I feel like things are so heavy, and and maybe I'm even saying to myself, it couldn't get worse. I need to open my spiritual eyes. We're talking by faith here. And realize, God the Spirit is at work in my life right now. God the Father is standing by my side right now. Christ, my brother, has such a strong relationship with me that He won't leave me over any tribulation. Do I see tribulation in such a powerful way? I think about the illustration. And if any of you grew up with mothers or grandmothers that did needlework, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 
There was a little boy that was set on the floor and he would look up at what his mother was embroidering. And from his view, looking up, it was just a mess of threads hovering under a, a hoop. And he oftentimes would say to his mama, Mama, that looks so bad. Mama, that's just a mess. Why are you spending all that time on that? And she would say, In a little bit, I'll put you on my lap and I'll let you see it from my side. And then at the proper time, she would lift up her son and she'd place him on his knee and his eyes would behold a beautiful sunset or a beautiful landscape or a beautiful picture with every needle and thread having been put in its proper place. Please get this. I believe the book of Job would teach us this in the 42nd chapter and verse 5. I believe that from our side that oftentimes tribulation just seems like a horrible mess. And I believe with all of my heart we'll step over into eternity on the other side and God will say, let me show you from my side. Let me show you the person that you grew to become because of that mess. Let me show you the lives that you touched because of your faithfulness through that mess. Let me show you how others were built stronger, grew stronger because of that situation. Friends, we just don't know all of the ways we impact others through our faithfulness. But if I can't remain faithful during times of tribulation, I myself will never grow stronger. And I'll never be the example for others to grow stronger either. You see, it's in tribulation that literally means a time of testing. And the question I have to ask myself is, am I passing this test? Look with me, if you will, over to Second Peter. Second Peter As you're turning there, I want to introduce to you this second point as we've already read. We're just taking the text as it's read. We see that we glory in tribulations because it's in tribulations that produces. Now think about the word produces. It literally makes. In other words, someone would say, I wish I could just be a person of perseverance. And Paul would write and say, okay, you stay faithful in times of tribulations. You find things to glory of in times of tribulation and you can become a person of perseverance. Now, when we look at 2 Peter, that's really the whole theme of 2 Peter is not falling away from the truth. Let's scan a few verses. Do you remember those verses back in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5 where he says, Add to your diligence, uh, faith, your faith, virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and then perseverance, and then godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He lists these things that we're to be adding these things into our life. And notice what he says in 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. You see, when we're living in life and we make decisions based on short term, we make the wrong decisions. When we do not add these things to our life, we're living short-sighted. Now notice what's going to happen. Even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now this is interesting to me. He says when we don't have these things in our life, number one, we're not looking toward eternity. Our vision is too short-sighted, but also our memory is very short. Here he's writing to people that have become children of God. And he says, you've forgotten what you said you were going to become. You have forgotten what you were going to turn away from. Now, notice as we continue reading in 10. Therefore, brethren, by even, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never 
stumble. That's a bold word or bold phrase there. Never stumble. How is it that we can never stumble? He says, if you'll just keep doing the right thing over and over. But sometimes, and especially in times of tribulation, it's hard to do the right thing. Now, he talks about that as we go over into the second chapter. He talks about the influence that false teachers can have. And in verse 18, he talks about how we could be pulled away or allured. How lust of the flesh, lewdness could cause us to escape what we ought to be. And then he even talks about corruption in 19 and how we can uh, be brought into bondage. But notice 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of the righteous than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now notice these two illustrations. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What's his plea here in Peter? He's saying once we're on the path of living by the truth, don't leave it. There may be fleshly things that urge us to leave. There may be that corruption and that carnal nature that pulls at us. He says, don't leave it. Now, he's given in the first chapter all of the faith and the virtue and the knowledge and the perseverance. He says, you stick with those things and you have the sight that you ought to have and you won't stumble. You pull away in these things. Now, what about if we make this decision to pull away? He says, realize the worst for for you, the end is going to be worse than if you'd never served to begin with. Let that sink in. Someone's out in the world and they've never become a child of God. Those of us that have become Christians, if we decide to leave God, things are worse for us than those that never became a Christian. And he illustrates it by saying a dog that turns to his vomit. It's hard to picture. It's hard to watch. It's like a sow that returns to the wallowing in the mire. Do you remember in Revelations, the third chapter of the church of Laodicea? Do you remember how it says in 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. Now listen to 16. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Well, it's interesting that we've read two verses back to back about vomit. And both of them, about individuals that stopped being faithful to God. Now, when we read back in Peter, it was individuals that fell completely away from the Lord. And he says, now that's like a dog returning returning to its vomit. But here, this one in Revelation is the church of Laodicea. This is a church that they were not by any means ready to say, we give up on God. They just didn't want to say we're wholeheartedly devoted to God. They wanted to hold a little bit to the world and hold a little bit to the Lord. Now, this may be hard for you and I to grasp from our uh, human calculations, our meditation. But I'm not asking you to believe this by your own standard. I'm asking you, will you believe this from the Word of God? God would rather you be cold completely in the world than for you to be here tonight and then go and live for the world tomorrow. And then you show back up Wednesday night or Sunday and act like you're a Christian again. God says, I'd rather you be completely cold. I'd rather you be completely hot. 
But I can't stand it when you're lukewarm. I'll vomit you out. How important is perseverance to God? Friends, God wants our all, or He doesn't want any. Now again, I say to you, from our common sense reasoning, that doesn't make sense. That's the point God makes over and over in the Scriptures. That's why we read so often about steadfastness. That's why we read about without wavering. That's why we read about faithfulness. The many, many ways that God urges us to give our all to the Lord. Now, as we think about a life, a life that's gone through times of tribulation and has remained faithful during that tribulation, they persevered. Note this. He says that is what produces character. Now many of you uh, junior high and elementary uh, kids, you have studied about character in school. The Character Counts campaign has been very active in many school systems for many years. And from a secular view, we learn about character from one angle and one approach. But from the Scriptures, we learn about it in its purest, most holy approach. What is it that builds a life of character? When we think about what builds a life of character, we think about the Scriptures saying it's going through times of tribulation, it's persevering, and that's literally what we become. Now, when we think of Paul as an example, you remember Paul saying that he never once violated his conscience? Or do you remember over in 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, he gives a list of things like this. And if you want to be turning to 2 Timothy 4, we'll be looking at that in just a moment. But here's what Paul says he went through. He said, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, among the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Can you imagine in your life being nearly to the point of death because of your Christianity? Not once, but many times. Now, many of us sit around and talk about, oh, I remember one time going to this vacation or going to this location or going here and talk about the various things we did. What if you were Paul and you sat around and said, oh, yeah, I've been there and I almost died there. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yes, I almost died there too. Yes, I've been there. Yes, I almost died there. Oh, scourgings, the whip, a bareback, 39 times each time. Yes, I received that five times. Beaten with rods? Yes, I've been beaten with rods. Stoned a few times? Yes. Shipwrecked? Many times. Hunger and thirsting, the care of all the churches, and that's just a few of the many things he listed there. What's the point? The point is this. Paul was the same. That's character. He made his stand in righteousness. He was the same no matter what the situation No matter what people around him believed, he was committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. No matter what it cost him, he was committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when we look back, and and if you look in, in some of your English dictionaries, and you'll look back to see the root of the word character, this is real interesting. Back in the 12 and 1300s, it came from a Greek word that meant the tool to etch in stone. 
You see, the idea is that character comes from what a person is in all situations. If right now we took a message and we wrote it in sand, we could come back tomorrow and we might not be able to read it at all. We come back a few days, we wouldn't even be able to tell that there was a message there. You take and you get a tool and you etch that message deep into stone. You come back tomorrow and you can read that message. You come back 10 years or 100 years from now and you'll be able to read that message. Are we more like sand, people that do not have character? Or are we people of character? God's will is etched deeply in our life. And it doesn't matter what persecution comes, we're going to be there. And people say this, well, what do you think he or she's going to say? You know, um, this decision that we've got to make in our company, it, it has to do with a lot of money. You think they'll go ahead and go for this? The other person says, yeah, I think they will for that kind of money. Oh, you think they'll sacrifice their character for that? Yeah, I think they will. Hey, what do, what do you think they're going to do over here? Oh, you think they'll do something immoral like that? Oh, yeah, I think in this situation they will. How'd you hear them talking? What kind of language? Talking about who? Talking about what? Surely not them. Oh, yeah, you ought to hear them talk. That's the person they are. Or would people say of us, Oh, no, it doesn't matter what the money is. They'll never sell out their integrity. Oh, it doesn't matter how enticing it is. I know them. They're not immoral people. Oh, I don't know what you've heard, but I can tell you this. I know them. They didn't say that. Let that sink in. Can your friends say that about you? Oh, I haven't asked them, but I know this. They didn't say that. How can you know they didn't say that? Because I know their character. I know who they are. I know that it's etched in stone. I've been with them through difficult times. I've seen the way they stand firm no matter what the cost. I know who they are. Friends, I can't talk about, oh, I'm a person of character. If I haven't stood fast when the price was high. That's the only way to become a person of character times of tribulation, staying the course of righteousness. And that's who we become. People of character. That's why when you read about Paul's dying days, what a description. Look there in 2 Timothy. I know you know these passages, but please hear them afresh as you think about character. You notice there in 2 Timothy 4, he says, For I am now ready to be offered. Look what he says in 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When we see that, do you hear what he's saying? When he says there in 7, I fought a good fight. He's not saying I started it and quit. When he says about the race, he's not saying, I ran a race. He's saying, I finished the race. He's not talking about it one time as a person of faith. He says, I kept the faith. Paul, who are you? I'm a finisher. 
I'm a person that you can count on to live the Christian life. Can your brothers and sisters count on you? At school, can your brothers and sisters count on you? They're going to do the right thing. Your neighbors in the workplace, your family, can they count on you? It's not just what you do, it's who you are. As we bring this lesson to an end, think about hope. You see, he says, tribulations produces perseverance, which produces character, and now that is what produces hope. You remember at the beginning of the lesson this evening, we said some people just speak of heaven and it's, it's very whimsical. It's, oh, I hope one day I can be in heaven, but you never know. And then you have someone else like Paul. We just read it. We should have read the very next verse where he says that he's ready to receive his crown. And he speaks of it with certainty. Paul, how can you speak with certainty that you know you're going to receive the crown? He says, I know I have that kind of hope. Because I know whether it was good days or days of tribulation, I persevered. It built me. It made me. It produced me into a person of character. And by the grace of God, I know I have that hope. Friends, I'm not, trying, I'm not saying let's talk ourselves into something that's not real. One of the most powerful series I've ever heard out of 1 John where he speaks of knowing our salvation was preached by a preacher that while he was preaching that series, he was having an affair. I'm not talking about playing games with the text, with our mind, or with Satan. But I am talking about knowing who we are. Knowing who God is. Tonight, can you rejoice in hope? I don't know if I really understand hope. Okay, let's back up. Can you be faithful in tribulation? Can you allow that to form you into a person of character? And if you can do those things, you'll just come to know a hope that is real, that is significant, a hope that saves, a hope that purifies. This evening, if you've never been baptized into Christ for mission or sins, tonight would be a great time to begin that journey. It's not always easy. Isn't it interesting that in this topic that teaches us how to be justified in Romans 5, 1 and 2, that we also learn about tribulations? Righteous people have always suffered. The difference in righteous and the wicked is that the righteous suffer and stay close to God. If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way, maybe it's tribulations that cause you to take your eyes off Christ and you made poor decisions, tonight would be the time to make wise decisions. Come back to God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.